<clears throat> it was either Franz Kafka or Blaise Pascal, I'm not sure who, who said all human suffering arises because of a person's inability to sit still in a room. And as I was sitting this evening, I was reflecting on almost every problem I ever have is not so much the, the details, the content, the situation, the story, but it arises because I lost my inability to be present, to be centered, whether it was wanting my neighbor to cut the to cut the trees so that the, all the needles didn't attack my home, or the driver who cut me off, or the person who, who isn't sensitive to the use of resources, or whatever it is that I may be, somebody who didn't see me or like me, or it's never any of those things. It's always my inability to deal with them with mindful attention, to be able to keep my center, so to speak. Because any moment that I'm actually mindful, I interrupt whatever reactivity may be going on, and it opens me to, a, um, to some discernment it opens me to a space of choice. And in my mind, it's absolutely revolutionary to practice mindfulness. It literally changes the world if you can interrupt the stream of distress enough to, to track and sustain, to hover, to be with whatever it is that is making it so difficult, what feels like it's making it so difficult for you to be present. If you can learn to sit in the middle of it all, you literally, with one act of careful attention that does not get then acted out on somebody else, that does not get blamed on somebody else, that does not get suppressed or ruminated about, but felt and met with an interest, with a curiosity, with a kindness that is embedded in the quality, in the nature of mindfulness. You can could do that for even one, one moment. You literally change the world. It sounds kind of dramatic, doesn't it? Part of what inspired me to talk about this, besides that remembering that, that line about all human suffering comes from an inability to sit still in the, or quiet in a, alone in a room, uh, was someone who I was speaking to 
who's been doing a lot of practice over many years. And they were, and they told me a story of, they are, they're in the a service industry where they counsel people about the legality of certain kinds of uh, actions that uh, nonprofits do. And, and they sent off a quick email to someone saying, somebody was requesting, can I do this, can I do that? And the, the person who I was speaking sent off an email and says, well, there are some laws about this but um, that you need to look at before. And, uh, but didn't get any more specific than that. Got a quick email back saying, are you sure there's laws about this? And the person who received the, the, the second email immediately felt aroused by by what felt like a questioning of, of her uh, authority, her competence, uh, and her mind ordinarily would go into a, a kind of attack mode, make a case for the prosecution against the person who'd sent such an aggressive email, wasn't so aggressive, would start ruminating about it, would shut down, would you know, any number of reactions, but instead she, she felt herself get aroused. She felt herself get aroused. She felt, she hovered for a while, let herself kind of percolate with what was going on. She reflected a little bit, but she, she paused long enough she used what I consider mindfulness. Mindfulness is analogous to a sacred pause. It's saying, for this moment, I'm not going to suppress anything, nor am I going to act anything else. I'm just going to take an interest and be curious about what it is that's presenting itself in the present moment. And the more she hovered, the more the qualities that are embedded in mindful attention began, began to rise to the surface, a sense of discernment. She felt the impulse to fire off a quick email, but then she reflected a little more on where the person was coming from. And the more she sat with it, the more she understood that the, that the person was maybe sent the email and was a little bit agitated and it wasn't necessarily an attack at all. And, and then she finally, after hovering with it a little, feeling it, having the dust settle a little bit, because everything, any upset, if you notice it long enough, you'll see that it, it ebbs and it flows. And by being with it, she opened up uh, a space, a space of, a space of creative possibility. How do I deal with this? Instead of a, the usual habitual reactive, being carried along by the stream of whatever my old habit is, she opened in that moment a space of choice. And she wrote the person and said, oh yeah, I understand that you, I didn't really give you information about what the logs were. Here's the place where you look to find that information. And sure, any way I can support you. And so that person, having received a, a generous, kind gesture, of help as opposed to a defensive, reactive uh, gesture of attack, blame, demand, uh, changed 
that, per, that person who received that then was affected by that. And the person sending the message felt happy that they hadn't caused any harm. The person receiving it could feel some greater ease of being and then turn around and be kind to the next person, their neighbor, their partner, their family members. And literally from that one little interruption of the flow of reactivity with the quality, the liberating quality of mindfulness, the whole world was changed. That little gesture absolutely rippled in every possible direction. The world could never be the same after that. We don't realize we are, we live, we are living in this sea of conditions. And individually, you could say, we're in precarious circumstances because of so much conditioning and so much reactivity. And if you look at the predominant, uh, the predominant um, pattern of behavior, it's not the behavior that, is, that leads with mindfulness, that leads with loving kindness, that leads with the intention to be non-harming, to be a benefit. That's not what leads in this world. But this world only reflects the way people are. So if we want a peaceful world, if we want a world that, that works for us, there have to be peaceful, mindful people. It's not something that can be imposed. So the, as I've said many times, the most radical social action you can engage in is the practice of, of mindful attention, non-harming, and love. And those little moments matter enormously. It's not just that little vignette. There are, thousands, there are thousands of them every day that literally change the world. You're, as Tim said beautifully, why not during this time smile at something? You think that's just a small thing? We sometimes treat this quality, this capacity of mindfulness as a little, as a little tool, a little self-help tool. This is the problem with the whole secular mindfulness movement is that it's like Mick, Mick mindfulness. You use it, you get a little result here and there, makes your work better, makes your relationship better. But it, it doesn't stop there. It, is in it, it makes possible uh, a, a kind of an earth-moving, um, what's the word I'm looking at? Observing power, liberating power, cutting through power, cutting through illusion cutting through habit, um, conflict. It, it just, it wakes us up to the, the capacity that human beings have to be, um, to be um, clear, open, loving, compassionate, all the, you know, everything we talk about. But it doesn't just happen because you come on Tuesday night. It happens because the, the what you, what you think about when you wake up in the morning is how can I, how can I, um, how can I, the intention that you have in the morning, how can I carry this care and attention into every little thing that I do from the moment I wake up till the moment I go to sleep? 
How can I come out of the notion that I can relegate my meditation to the few minutes on my cushion and then expect a little trickle down into all my all those many moments when I'm fielding emails and when I'm driving or I'm being cut off in traffic or when I'm choosing how to care for my body or care for another person. So many choices all day long. So many choices. And so much opportunity to bring awakening, to bring love. So many opportunities for delusion, for greed, for hatred, for all the, for all the, the qualities that, that make pain in the world. So, of course, I, I, this is not meant to scold anybody for being unmindful all day. I'm, I'm thrilled that you're here and that you, you've already changed the world just by, by sitting down for 40 minutes. It, as one Zen teacher says, one moment of mindfulness, presence, wipes away beginningless crimes. Because in that one moment, you may not know it yet, but in that one moment, you have, you literally, in a moment of attention, you, for yourself at least, and the ripple, as I said, will, will go where it goes, but in that moment, you've ended suffering. The end of suffering is any moment when there is a cessation, there is a falling away, or a gap between a moment of greed, of wanting things to be other than the way they are, a moment of hatred, ill will, and a moment of confusion or delusion. Any moment of mindfulness is a moment that literally purifies these forces in our mind. So the whole of the, the, what's called the Noble Eightfold Path, the fourth truth of the Four Noble Truths, is about bringing that quality, that, in, that interrupting, that liberating, that healing quality of mindfulness to every element of our life. It's not just the sitting practice. It's the practice of dana. It's the practice of giving of ourselves. It's bringing attention to need, to, instead of greed, we look at what's needed and we offer. Instead of we bring it to, to, to the practice of dana in every way. We bring it to our speech. We bring it to our thoughts. We bring it to our, um, our actions, our livelihood. Am I acting? You know, everybody complains about their work. Almost everybody. <laughs> some measure of, the, some element of their work. And it's easy to talk about this. It's another to, to make it into a, a real practice. But it's often work, no matter what it is. It's not so much the work. It's more often than not, it's how we're doing it. And what we do eight hours a day is an amazing field of creative possibility for, I'm not saying that you should be doing, it doesn't matter what your career is. You know, you have to have some kind of resonance with it. Otherwise, it's hard to sustain. There has to be something, some value in it for you. Some value. 
but regardless of what it is, you can turn it into a, a Buddha field, into a practice area, a way of seeing how many people can I touch today with loving kindness? Is that what you think of when you go to work? <laughs> how, how many moments today can I, can I replace moments of, of lack, of complaint, with moments of contentment? How many moments can I remember to check in for at least just for a moment at a time and see if I'm really in real time lacking anything when I don't, when I don't search to my memory for that, when I actually check it out I'm in real time? Am I really missing anything? But just the act of doing that, you're waking up. And that gives you a chance to see, wow, there's a lot more going on here while I'm busy complaining. There are people here. There's, there's, there are sights, there are sounds, there are smells. I'm alive. There's this body here in the middle of it. Oh, I'm right in the middle of nature right now. If I feel my body, I've gone back to the forest. I didn't even realize it. I became completely denatured. Now, it doesn't help to work in office buildings where you don't see trees, but you have this forest right here that you can refer to any time. There's just something about feeling that at least for that moment interrupts the stream of distress that can, that can we can spend a whole day strategizing how how the end of the day will be better than the moment I'm having. How many of you wait for the weekend? Anybody? Come on. <laughs> How many of you wait for the end of the day? This is, this is a kind of, this is greed in the mind, and it's a kind of delusion that's very easily perpetuated because of the lack of mindful attention. Because the, the, the mind will, the thinking mind, the deluded mind, the, the clever mind of Mara will say, I can't be happy now, and I won't be happy until the bell rings at the end of the day. The end of the day becomes the secret to happiness. So all that time while I'm at work, my body, my mind are in a state of tension, waiting, waiting for that great moment. And really, that, that waiting was completely optional. On the other hand, if I interrupt that mental state by noticing it, oh, waiting for the end of the day. That's kind of interesting. Look at the state that my body goes into when I'm waiting. It's very painful. It's heavy, contracted. And I notice that I'm yawning a lot. And what happens when I really feel that waiting, that wanting? It stays for a while, and then it's gone. Wow, I feel at peace all of a sudden. And the day hasn't, hasn't ended. So we can either postpone that relief 
through lack of attention, through just being carried along by the cultural trance of waiting, of postponing. This is a culture of postponement on one hand. It's, it's funny, it's both. It's a culture of instant gratification and postponement all at the same time. So we can either be carried along by the conditioning or we can, we can be free now. Free of the forces of greed, hatred, and ignorance that can't coexist with the continuity of mindful attention. So the problem with the lack of mindful attention is we miss what Thich Nhat Hanh says. We miss the fact that we, as he said, you who are the richest person on earth who've been going around begging for a living, stop being the destitute child. We miss the richness of our life and substitute a virtual reality of one that we think will be better, but actually makes this one harder to experience. That study that was done at Harvard where people were beeped and it was determined that 47% of the time people are daydreaming, substituting a false reality for the one that we're in. And when asked why they were daydreaming, they were attempting to make their life a menial task feel more bearable. But in fact, it had exactly the opposite effect. It reinforced the, the experience of whatever we're doing as not as uh, as not as mind-numbing or hard, you know, bad or whatever it is. Somebody described this process that happens very quickly all day. But if you develop the power of mindfulness, you'll start interrupting this a little bit more. So this person wrote, when I sat this afternoon, thinking arose. This happens a billion times a day. Thinking blotted out awareness. Thinking was the release of certain electrical impulses, like a spasm or a twitch that resulted accidentally in a thought. Thinking came from the firing of neurons. When awareness didn't rise up to notice the thought or meet the thought, the thought was bent by its nature to substitute a false world for a true one. So this habit of substituting a false world for a new one. And that false world is even the world of blame, demand, the world, all the worlds of of, um, speculation. Now, if awareness rises up to notice that, it's amazing. Amazing that my mind can create a case for the prosecution in full detail about every all the wrongs of the world and and see it so vividly that's amazing thinking the thinking mind is amazing and if i'm aware of the thinking mind not a problem but if i if i don't have that quality of mindfulness 
of clear of cognizance, of clear comprehension that my mind is thinking, I substitute that false world for a real one. I don't know that a thought of my life is not my life. I don't know that a thought of myself is not myself. I don't know that a thought of somebody else is not them. It's a dream. And I, I, I fall into more delusion and I miss the richness of my life. So that little vignette of that person that I was telling you about, we all have that same opportunity to move the folds of the world by just turning, one slight turning, the turning from being absorbed in that false world to noticing it, waking up to interrupting the stream of unconsciousness, learning how to, to hover with whatever reality is occurring in the present moment, learning to accommodate our feelings, our upset, all those things that all those things that we've, we haven't learned how to metabolize that, that have the effect then of, of sending us out, of disassociating, uh, disconnecting. Now most of that habit is, uh, most of that habit is, it's not our fault, it's just that we didn't have the tools when we were young or in certain situations to accommodate, situ to accommodate feelings. And so this habit developed very strongly to leave, to not be here, to substitute that false world. So if, if any of us wants to actually inhabit our lives, we have to, to feel that richness, we have to recover, we have to reclaim that heritage. And the, the process of doing that is not necessarily pleasant at all times. Have to feel the rumblings of, of anger and reactivity. But the more I do that, the more I see it's just anger, it's just reactivity. It's just a flood of sorrows, whatever it is, it's all changing. It's not me, it's not mine. It's a changing world of conditions. And the more I'm familiar with that, the more I can sit in the middle of whatever upset. And I can find that, that cool heart of equanimity, balance. And I can know with certainty that I'm, at least for those moments, I'm not causing harm. I'm not causing harm to myself. I'm not causing harm to anybody else. Don't underestimate. Boy, I sound like I'm preaching and like I'm lecturing tonight. Don't underestimate the power of mindful attention. Don't let a single moment pass without, without cultivating it. This is what Well, I'll read you a few different versions. This is from Elizabeth Lesser. Meditation practice is like piano scales, basketball drills, ballroom dance class. Practice requires discipline. It can be tedious. It is necessary. After you've practiced enough, you become more skilled at the art form itself. You do not practice to become a great scale player or drill champion. 
you practice to become a musician or athlete. Likewise, one does not practice meditation to become a great meditator. We meditate to wake up and live, to become skilled at the art of living. And the Buddha said, let not a person revive the past or on the future build her hopes. For the past has been left behind, the future has not yet been reached. Instead, with insight, let her see each presently arisen state. Let her know that and be sure of it invincibly, unshakably. Today the effort must be made, tomorrow death may come. Who knows? No bargain with mortality can keep her and her hordes, him and his hordes away. But one who dwells thus ardently, relentless, by day, by night, it is he or she, the peaceful sage has said, who has one fortunate attachment. So one last little comment, and if you want to hear an interesting poem, don't go right away. This is from the Tibetan teacher, Noshul Ken Rinpoche. Homage to the sovereign within, self-arising or just mindfulness. I am the Vajra of mindfulness. Look, friends, when seeing me, be mindful. I am the mirror of mindfulness. I mirror your careful attention. Look clearly and see into the essence of your mind. Mindfulness is the root of the Dharma, teachings, truth. Mindfulness is the body of the practice. Mindfulness is the fortress of the mind. Mindfulness is the friend of awareness and wisdom. Mindfulness is the support for all the, the traditions. Lack of mindfulness will allow the negative forces to overcome you. Without mindfulness, you will be swept away by laziness. Lack of mindfulness is the creator of evil deeds. Lack of mindfulness can accomplish nothing. Lack of mindfulness is a pile of shit. Without mindfulness, you sleep in an ocean of piss. Without mindfulness, you are a heartless corpse. Friends, please be mindful. <laughs> By the aspiration of the lamas, the buddhas, the bodhisattvas, the lineage holders, may all friends attain stable mindfulness. These words were composed by the stupid ox with the buck teeth, the bad monk, Zhang Yang Dorje, and offered to his friends with the eyes of the Dharma. So friends, please be mindful. So before we sit quietly to end our evening, just consider as you begin to close your eyes, maybe shift your posture, be mindful of that process. And when I hit the gong and you're ready to open your eyes again, be aware of the opening of your eyes, be aware of any other movements that you make. And then as you get up to leave this evening or if you 
are so feeling generous to offer Donna or, or help put away chairs, do it with care and attention. It's not just about getting out of here. The path begins here. The path itself is here and the path ends here. It's all about here. So let's just sit for a moment. Feel the richness of mindful attention. The words of Rumi, out beyond the ideas of right doing and wrong doing, there's a field, I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make any sense. As we do each week, we consider the possibility that there has been some goodness, some benefit, some merit, some fruits that have arisen from our being together, some blessings. And we take all of that goodness, any blessings, any merit, any benefits, and we offer it consciously as a blessing to all beings everywhere. And we send the benefits of our practice in all directions with a deep wish that all beings, without exception, can know more happiness and peace, know more safety and protection from inner and outer harm. Deep wish that all beings everywhere can know more health and strength. The deep wish that all beings can recognize this sacred happiness that is without sorrow, here and now, found only through our mindful attention. And a deep wish that all beings grow in serenity and equanimity with a greater ability to meet the inevitable joys and sorrows with less reactivity. And a deep wish that our practice today and every day be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all. May all beings be liberated from the forces of greed, hatred, and ignorance. Thank you all so much for your letting me uh, remind myself about the value of mindfulness, remind you. And uh, just a reminder that next week, our dear David Lewis, who's actually in the room, will be 
who's led the group many times in the past, will be doing the Dharma talk for the evening. Uh, he's done a lot of teachings, run groups, run retreats for the Gay Buddhist Fellowship, and and has supported me leading retreat at Spirit Rock, and uh, is a great um, treasure of our Sangha, and he will be leading the the um, Tuesday night group next week. So please, one come one, come all, support each other, support him, and uh, I will see you the following week. And I don't think I will miss any until the till early October, but um, next um, Tuesday is the last one. So see you soon. Thank you again. Thanks for your generosity. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.